The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Outpost Podcast, May 13th, 2018, episode 37. Today we're going to be talking about the Steelers' prospect for the 2018 season. Did the revolving door that brought in new players and showed veterans to the street end up in a net positive or negative for the team? But today is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all of our listeners who qualify. And if you don't qualify, we hope you're able to enjoy the day with your mom. This is Tom, and I'm pleased to be joined in person in the command center of the Washington, D.C. Outpost by Nick. So uh, we're having a little trouble with our with our uh, audio. So please bear with us until next week when we get it straightened out. If we sound too good, then just don't think the bar is going to be raised because it's going to go right back down to where we were before when I get back to Houston. But I do have to say happy Mother's Day to Mama Sita and to all the moms out there who I'm sure are chomping at the bit to listen to some football talk right now in May. Hey, so speaking of the show, it's really snowballing and it's gratifying to see the growth, the number of listeners and to hear from you. So shout outs go to Mary Beth and Jane who are listening to Virginia. We also welcome Patrick and Jack from Washington, D.C. Last but not least, big thank you to Andrew from New York who encouraged us to launch the podcast and gave us some critical technical mentoring to get us off the ground. So without further ado, we're going to jump into, we've been talking about the 2018 prospects and dribs and drabs, but I think we're going to try and pull it all together here. We're going to give you the positives and the negatives, but we had a discussion. We're going to start with the negatives and end up on a high note. Yeah, let's do that. So this is kind of spurred by a discussion on Twitter that I have with a couple different guys. With um, So a little shout out to Pittsburgh Sports, which is at Pittsburgh Sport, big um, tweeter of, you may be able to guess this, but all thing Pittsburgh Sports. Uh, he actually put up a poll a couple days ago saying, okay, Steelers fans, it's early, but which position do you think improves the most this season after the team's free agency moves, draft additions, player development, and injured players coming back healthy? Okay, so he gave us a choice of four positions. Which one improved the most? Safety, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, and wide receiver. And like you said before, what we're going to try to do right now is, now that we have the draft in the rear view, free agency for the most part's in the rear view, we're going to try and kind of bring this all together. And I know this sounds sort of depressing, but there's a, there's a, there's a lighter side to this. If you look on paper, there's, just by the definition of the word depth, this roster is not as good as last year's. The big two um, reasons for that is that you're... By far your best defensive player, Ryan Shazier, who not only is the best player, the best playmaker, but who you built the entire defense around, he's gone. And I understand that he was gone at the end of last year, but it's not very often where you lose a guy for a whole other year. So this is a special situation, right? And then obviously dealing Martavis on the day of the draft. 
People can argue that he wasn't as good last year, or some people will say, well, the presence of him alone um, opened things up for Antonio because people had to guard him deep. But the bottom line is you, you lost a starting receiver. The next guy who was on your team has a torn ACL and Eli Rogers, and you've got a rookie who you're hoping to come in for him. So let's, let's take this uh, sort of linearly, and let's look at the defense and then move our way through, through the offense. I think you make a good point a critical building block and Ryan Chazier is gone. That's not getting replaced. We didn't get a, uh, we didn't get a first round pick or any pick who's going to even come close to replacing him. But let's walk through the most surprising thing. I think to all of us is we didn't do anything at inside linebacker other than bringing in Bostic. Yeah. Which and, is that, and that was a function of the lack of a, uh, a good player being available. We're told. Yeah. So they didn't get a single inside linebacker in the draft. And, and there may have been one or two guys available eventually in the third round. But honestly, I can't really fault them. It wasn't a great class after the top four guys. It sounds like they tried to move up to get our guy Rashawn Evans from Alabama in the draft. They didn't get him. Well, you don't want to just reach for a guy. You should take a quarterback instead in the third round. You got to let that go. I will never let that go until Mason Rudolph gets five Super Bowl rings. Which he's not going to do because he's going to be a backup for the next ten years while Ben's getting an extra five. But I digress. So let's let's look at these positions on the depth chart and let's see have they improved from last year to this year. Inside linebacker. Well, the obvious answer is yes because John Bostic is a good signing and he's better than Sean Spence. Just like anybody else who plays football in the NFL, regardless of their position, would be better than Sean Spence at inside linebacker, who was literally eating Cheetos on his couch when the Steelers called him and said. We hate LJ Fort so much that he's been on the team for two years, but we'd rather have this guy come off of the I really couch hope Sean's play. mother isn't listening today. <laughs> I love Sean Spence. What a heroic job. He did terrible, but you can't express you can't um expect him to, to do very well coming off of a couch and not even making uh the Indianapolis Colts roster who's where we got John Bostic from, and they had some of the worst middle linebackers in the league. So, yes, anything's an improvement over Spence. So I guess our defense is better than it was against the Jaguars. But like I said before, the loss of Shazier isn't just enormous. It's odd because usually when a team loses a player, they mostly will get him back the next year. There are exceptions. Teddy Bridgewater, you know, was out for two years. Sonny Jerkinson's leg exploded, and I don't know if he ever played again. Theismann? Yeah, now Jerkinson, his leg could have floated any day now. He should be using the walker. But regardless, so to me, you have two maybe league average starters at inside linebacker, Vince Williams and John Bostick. I like both of those players, but that position group is not, you can't call it a strength of the defense, and it's definitely worse than last year when you had Ryan. And it's interesting, LJ Fort didn't get a chance to step in. They got the guy from the couch eating the Cheetos instead of putting him in. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting to figure out what his role on the team is. And uh, Dirty Red Matikavich yeah. is, is back there to do his special teams thing and maybe filling in a pinch. Well, they must love, the Steelers must love Matikavich, and they've kind of hinted at that before as the first backup linebacker. He came in for Ryan against the Bengals and immediately injured his shoulder, and that's pretty much what they say hampered in the rest of the year. So. You and I love him, but you I mean his upside athletically is so limited. If we were already having trouble covering tight ends and getting out to the perimeter with those runs on the edges, if you guys remember, I mean the Jaguars did it all day long running up the middle but also through the edges and Sean Spence couldn't get over. The worst game was Alex Collins and the Ravens where they just constantly ran off of that C gap 
over and over again, and Sean Spence wasn't fast enough to get over to make the play. Dirty red, we like what he does, but again, his upside is what, like league average at best. So So let's move on to the fact that the Steelers have stockpiled every strong safety in the NFL, kind of amazingly. And our fear, obviously, is that we have no natural free safety to fill the gap. Yeah, that's my only thing. So another one on this on the Pittsburgh sports page, the overwhelming winner on his poll, 81% of the people said safety. So in one, and I guess I need to clarify my opinion on that, you know, because like obviously the safeties are in, improved in a way because you get Morgan Burnett, who basically, honestly, okay, here's my problem with some people because some, some other people came at me on Twitter and they said, oh, my God, you don't think that Morgan Burnett is an improvement over Mike Mitchell? And I want to ask them, like, did you even know who Morgan Burnett was before the Steelers got him? Do you know how old he is? Do you know what position he played in Green Bay? Are you like, oh, there's a new safety there. Mike Mitchell's gone. He's great. Dude, Morgan Burnett is a good signing. I'm very glad. He is very specifically in the box safety. And he's actually very good at that. But he's he's over 30. He's not overly fast. He's not meant to be a free safety. If he goes to play that position, I think he can do it. Maybe he's an improvement off of Mitchell from last year when Mitchell allegedly he said he was playing with a broken foot or at least a messed up foot. We did know he was really banged up. But before that, you know, this guy's probably about the same that Michael Mitchell is at free safety. So not not an upgrade. The question is now, I I guess, sort of the question out there is Sean Spence going to be the free safety? Sean Davis. I got Spence on the brink. Well, they said, yeah, they said um, uh, Tomlin and Colbert said that Burnett, the old guy, is going to start at free safety because they don't want to keep moving um, Sean Davis around, which is legitimate. But let me just address the Terrell Edmonds thing. So if I want to answer this sort of objectively, do you think the strong safety or the safety room is better than last year? Like the safety room? Yes. You got Terrell Edmonds in there. I'm excited. um, I'm excited about him as a player. Obviously, everybody wants to talk about him playing in dime situations, which is encouraging. Hopefully he can do that. Steelers have been wanting to do that for a while. They haven't had a guy. Now they had a guy. Okay, so yeah, we got more players in there. Now, but we legitimately don't have a real free safety on the roster. And these guys, all of them could play it to a certain extent, but that's not their strength. Edmonds could definitely develop to be a really good free safety. He has the athletic traits to be able to do that. He's fast. He's versatile. But he is definitively not that right now. And I think that there's some people throwing out opinions about him without actually watch, having watched him play. They're just watching Twitter and be like, well, he put Edmonds at free safety. He put Burnett. It's like, well, sure, you can do that. But once again, you might have a league average start. I want to move on to Ed Rusher. There was no real change, either comings or goings. But I just wanted to take a look at, um, we've, been, we've been focusing on Bud Dupree. And the question is, is he going to improve this year? There, it, it, it is true that he played injured last year. Yeah. How significantly? I mean, he was on the field, but yeah, we saw a uh, you know a rush that was unimpressive at best. I will say there was one going. The Steelers lost their best outside linebacker pass rusher. Not that they played him at all last year, but James Harrison is gone. And just again, the definition of of depth is in question here in my mind when people are talking about the Steelers' depth. You lost one of your players, whether he's your best pass rusher or not, which he was last year. You have one less player. They didn't bring a single outside linebacker in. So you're, you have less depth. That's what the word means. But um, so on paper, again, this is like my thesis of the, of the state of the Steelers right now. So not to put anyone on red alert. On paper, 
the Steelers team roster is almost objectively not as good as it was last year. Not as good or as not as deep? Both. There are, there are a number of positions where the depth is in question, and we'll, we'll list them out in a second here, but on paper, the Steelers roster isn't good, but that doesn't mean players don't get better and stuff like that. So that's what kind of what we're talking about at outside linebacker. It's risky because Chicolo is really your only backup. You got a seventh round uh, guy who missed his whole rookie year in Keon Adams. I don't really consider that like, I don't even know if he'll, he'll be the backup or not. We don't know what, what he can do yet. But you're, you're starting two guys. Bud, we're hoping he improves. I agree. I do think that he can improve a little bit. I don't think he's useless. He's, he's, not, he's never going to give you a great pass rush. He just hasn't shown the ability to have those skills. But he is a good little chess piece that they send on those weird blitzes. And he, he might get his seven or eight sacks off of those. And he's decent at setting the edge on the run, which is really necessary. TJ Watt is the big one that we have our, our fingers crossed for. On the defense, look at this, guys. You don't have Shazier next year. But here are the big wild cards. Last year when we were going into the air, you and I said, Artie and Bud are the key to this season. Those are the guys who are going into their second and third seasons who look like they were, if they could turn the corner the way that, you know, Antonio Brown turned a corner, Le'Veon Bell turned a corner, Ben Roethlisberger, all these people who take the big jumps from year one to two or two to three and turn into good players, then the Steelers defense would be really good. Neither one of those guys did that this year. Now, Bud, I think he could still improve now, but TJ Watt is the guy we're looking at right now to be like, he had a promising rookie season. If he can take a next step, which I feel like he might be able to, even though we have Joey Porter, who hasn't developed a single outside linebacker since he's worked for the Steelers, then you're in good shape. So I like the starters, but the depth is is a little tricky. Let's flip to the offensive side. And you mentioned one of the major building blocks, um, Martavis leaving. And but but we get James Washington. Yeah, so a, a few thoughts on those players. Like we said before, I know everyone can make the argument that he wasn't as good Martavis Bryant wasn't as good last year as he was in the past. Obviously, he was not. I do think he started heating up a little bit as the year went on. I think he would have been better this year if he stuck around. But, you know, my big thing is now you're putting a question mark in to start as a rookie. I really like James Washington. We talked about him last week in the fact that he's going to fill that Martavis role, that Mike Wallace role. Sammy Coates did it. Um, The go straight guy and catch the deep ball. But he's what he's not quite as athletically unbelievable as Mike Wallace and Martavis. But what he lacks for in in those traits, he's actually more polished of a player and probably more pro ready. Has more similarities to Juju. When we talked about last year, like this guy's ready to come in as a rookie and make catches across the middle and run multiple routes and stuff like that. So I I am excited for Washington, but I think it's a lot for you to expect for him to come in day one and be an instant impact guy. I mean, even took Juju till about six, seven games into the season before he hit his stride. But I think I, I do feel comfortable going into day one with him as the starting receiver. I'm just worried that you have nobody behind him. I think that's the point. I mean, you're transferring, you're basically transferring a proven veteran who was fading or did not have a fantastic year with an unproven rookie who has great potential. Now let's talk about what's behind those guys. And you have, you have Hunter, which is nothing. Which is nothing. And Hayward Bay, which is DHB is not a wide receiver. And then Eli Rogers. Let's put it this way. If Eli, Eli Rogers has a torn ACL. So you really don't have, in my mind, a legitimate NFL wide receiver behind the top three guys. 
AB, Juju, and Washington. If any one of those guys gets hurt for a game, your receiving core goes from great to basically crap, you know? Um, unless, you know, Washington takes a huge step immediately, and then you might be okay. But that that's my main concern. If Eli Rogers can get healthy at a reasonable time, I, I actually really like the receivers because I like Eli Rogers as a depth piece. Um, he's been here for a while. We've seen that he has talent and he can be relied on. He actually played really well in the game against the Jaguars in the playoffs. But like I'm like I'm saying about the Steelers, I definitely think that that could pan out. But there's just a lot of question marks. So on paper, it's a risk. But I do think if everything plays out the, Steel- the way the Steelers want to, Juju will be even better than last year. Washington looks like a pro-ready guy. And then if Eli can get better, then we know there's a really good guy on the outside and this Antonio dude. Well, let's re- you got a good position. Let's refocus the conversation on the offensive line. And I, I, the loss of Chris Hubbard actually is more substantial than we may have talked about before because Hubbard is absolutely proven. We have Chuck Okorafor, who we got brought in in the third round. Absolutely unproven. Yeah. There, there were more, there were some negatives about him that let me believe he's not going to step in. No. I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't be freaked out. I mean, you still have BJ, BJ Finney, Finney and um, Filer, sort of unproven, yeah. but you can put him out there. I think, but you you don't have that essentially a starter as a backup the way I, we did last year. So in totally. my my opinion, I think we've sort of stepped back as far as depth is concerned. We have objectively, and this is the thing where people keep arguing with me, like. But we have this new guy to step in who hasn't proven himself step yet, but we in. think he could be good. Like, well, listen, I agree with you and these different people who I think could be good. But if I'm sitting here analyzing the team on paper where we stand right now, I can't say T.J. Watt is going to—I hope T.J. Watt turns the corner. But I hope Sean Davis and Artie Burns and Bud Dupree would turn corners, and none of them did. Oh, even more so when we're talking about rookies to step in. Yeah, so I don't think Chucks is the guy who's going to step in. I think Filer kind of has a hot— uh, fast track on that. We'll get into the other prospects soon once we start um, breaking our rosters, going into the OTAs and everything like that. But yeah, it was, you know, we know the value, the real value of a swing tackle backup in the NFL because he's just going to have to play like at least one game the way that these offensive linemen work. They, they, you're not going to keep the whole starting five for the whole year. And last year, the Steelers actually were pretty lucky with that. Most of the guys played the whole year. Ramon Foster missed like a game. And then Marcus Gilbert missed the four games for suspension and for um, injury. But, yeah, that's that's a big position you're going to need to get filled. Who is going to be that swing tackle? And finally, we we'll take a look at the running back core. I mean, you're going to have Le'Veon back. I still haven't seen a contract. We're assuming a Le'Veon is back. He'll be back. He'll be back. Um, we, haven't, we haven't approved things there. Although... You know, James Conner, untested, if he's, if he's healthy this year, I wonder if we'll get to see more of him. Yeah, if he's healthy. So that, again, you guys can see a resounding theme here, right? I don't think, I'm not sitting here saying the Steelers are so much worse than last year, but on paper, we have huge issues that need to get ironed out. You have Le'Veon Bell as your starting running back, who's going to get, you know, 888 carries this year. So maybe you don't even need a backup running back. That being said, he's, like, never finished a season until last year. Um, James Conner, again, torn up knee, which is also like the third time he's torn up his knee. He's been very injury prone all the way through college and now through the NFL. So I don't know if I can count on him. In his very small sample size last year, he looked pretty good running the ball. Ten yards of carry. Yeah, ten yards of carry. He could keep it up, man. Six carries. All right. But he was horrendous pass blocking. It's a huge adjustment. I think he's a smart dude. He could pick that up. Um, but he needs to be in camp to be able to do those things. 
and we just don't know about him. The Riddler, I'm not sure if they'll sign him again. I would be pretty happy if they signed the Riddler. We're fans of him. He he filled in pretty nicely last year. And then you got Fitzgerald Toussaint, the fumbler, um, who, you know, the goal hopefully would be for him not to make the team, for somebody to beat him out. But at least there's a guy who's been there, knows the system, can pass, uh, can pass block, catch, and he's not a great runner, but he can run a, a little bit. So... It's not a disaster at running back, but the big question mark, James Conner. Oh, and then I guess you got Jalen Samuels, this guy in the draft, um, who's supposed to be like a very poor man's Le'Veon Bell. He's the positionless wonder from NC State. Well, he's a running back, but um, I don't know how much we can count on him or if he's going to even be able to beat up people to, to get on the team with higher pedigree and, and higher athleticism than him. So we'll I see, see you're kind of even from last year. I, I, yeah. I would say it's not a big detriment, but it is a concern. So yeah. let's let's just say all is not lost. There there are silver linings across the board here, and we'll start with the defense. Well, let's, yeah, the, the way I want to sort of set up this segment is just to say, I know that I just crapped on everybody's dreams a little bit, and saying that we're worse and there's depth and everyone's ACL is repair is being repaired right now and stuff like that. But there are some things to be really optimistic about. Let's get the elephant out of the room for. Okay, let me organize this. Steelers, everybody, they definitely still have a shot at the Super Bowl. I don't think that it's as ironclad or steel clad, if anyone's ever said that before, as maybe last year. Um, but they're definitely in that group of eight teams who could win it. Number one, you have the killer bees in that offense. And just legitimately, anytime you have that group of guys, especially with Ben Roethlisberger playing quarterback, you have a shot at the Super Bowl for sure. Even if you make it in as a six seed or if you take advantage of this AFC North, which is, you know, going to be better than last year, but there's no Jaguars or Patriots in our division. So we got a shot at the Super Bowl. but. Here's the things where there's some room for improvement. You and I anticipate there to be some improvements. So you want to start with defense, cornerback. Okay, players get better. I think that Artie Burns and Joe Hayden got better over the course of the season. Obviously, Joe got injured. I think Joe Hayden will really benefit from a full offseason with the Steelers. The silver bullet, Mike Hilton, was a big gift that we didn't realize we had last year as a rookie. So you got to assume he's going to get better. I, I really saw Artie slowly improve in his man-to-man coverage last year. Yeah, I was gratified not to hear his name as many times as we did his, his rookie season. Sign of improvement. Well, he still gave up all those 50-yard touchdowns, and that might just be part of his game. But I always remember Ike Taylor and how bad he was for such a long time and his slow improvement. I, I think Artie has some similarities to him. These fast, athletic guys who are still kind of getting the mental part of the game. But he showed some improvement. And then behind that, you have Sutton, your draft pick from last year, and uh, there's just, it's like, it's weird, because there's no studs there, but there's actually depth where you kind of feel comfortable. It's like people with some pedigree, and people have played a little bit. So the cornerbacks, that group could improve, and of course, what we talked about, everyone's new favorite buzzword, the dime defense. Well, as much as people are unrealistic about thinking that's going to like turn the the word dime defense. Now the Steelers defense is good. Well, no, it is, it's not how that works, but it is very encouraging if you can get some safeties in here, especially since you're going to be playing Gronk and they got Hayden Hurst, the new tight end for the Ravens. So those things are could be improvements. Well, speaking of depth, last week we were talking about our nine safeties. We're down to seven, but I yes. still think that makes us deep. And you actually have, and you have actually solid safeties in, um, in addition to the draft choice. 
Well, you know, the good thing about Morgan Burnett playing free safety, if that's what we end up doing, like I said, it's not the most ideal position for him athletically. He's not going to go out there and make a, a, you know, a bunch of plays on the ball and great interceptions where he's cutting people off. But he is a great veteran communicator, and you need that in the back. And Mike Mitchell was was a good communicator too, but he was extra slow last year with all the injuries. So that is a positive. You get a guy who's communicating back there. You have Sean Davis for another year. I mean, miserable year for Sean Davis last year. He was the defensive anti-MVP for a while there. But you got to think, you, you still saw the flashes from him. And you and I agree, he's best at strong safety right now. When he comes up and makes those those plays at the line of scrimmage, he's got to shore up the tackling. But he's got a lot of bad film to watch on himself from last year. So I think he's going to improve right. a little bit. Right. But uh, one thing I'll mention about that with the safeties is also Marcus Allen, the, the missile that we got from um, Penn State, and uh, Nat Beret, the human missile, which is his name, from the Giants. The special teams could look, the coverage units could look really good this year. I know that doesn't sound sexy, but that's enormous. In a game of field position, if you make the Jacksonville Jaguars have to drive 80 yards down the field every time, you're going to win the game. So that's it. For, for the one year remaining in the kickoff. Yeah, my right. projection. Well, for is, the punt, at least. Hey, so uh, if we can turn our attention to offense, you yeah. covered that. So I, I think from the wide receiver standpoint, big silver lining, Washington. Again, unproven, but we have seen rookies come in and make an impact from, yeah. if not day one, second and third week. Yeah, so he's exciting. And the fact that he's a little bit more reliable than Amar Tavis, you can actually, for the first time in forever, the Steelers could have three reliable people who can catch the ball and not Two people who can catch the ball and one guy who runs straight and catches the ball 40% of the time, which is nice, Sammy Coates, Mark Davis. But, you know, you could be more well-rounded. Um, I think the big one to look at is Juju. For as great as he was in his rookie season, you got to think he'll be even better his, his second season. And then Antonio Brown's, like, super good at football. So I like having him out there. And dancing. Great dancer. Excellent dancer. So I hate to rely, just to switch off the, the wide receivers, I hate to rely on this because this is more psychology than anything, but um, the pressure to perform is pretty high. It, it has been high on Ben, but every year that goes by is one year closer to only having two Super Bowl rings. And I just feel mm-hmm. that he may sharpen him his focus a little bit this year. Last year was, was an inauspicious the beginning for him, to say the least. Yeah, he started super slow, and there was no reason for it because we saw by the end of the season, he was playing as well, or he actually was playing better statistically than any other quarterback in the league for like the last half of the season. So there was really no reason for him to start slow like that. And I think you're right. I think um, people talk about the Mason Rudolph thing, kind of pissing him off, and Ben kind of plays better when he's angry. I've always said this about Ben, um, who is the greatest player in NFL history, but he, he can be streaky. He can be a little bit of a head case. That's what I always, you know, through all this drama that people have been slandering his name through the mud because he, he put himself out there and he gave him a good reason to do it. But he is an old school cigarette smoking, gun slinging, son of a gun diva out there. And sometimes when he gets hot, there's no quarterback better. I mean, no one else has gone back to back games with 600 touchdowns and 500 yards in the first one and, you know, 400 whatever in the second one. And then the next week, lays a dud against the Jets, who are a terrible team. He's kind of an up-and-down guy. Like, sometimes you'll see him in games, like, when he starts bad, like, there are some times when, like, oh, he just never gets it going. That game against the Dolphins when he got hurt a couple years ago, when he came back against the Ravens a few weeks later, we saw him play 
what I think was actually the worst game of his life was not that Jaguars game, was was that Ravens game a couple years ago, and he just wasn't throwing the ball anywhere near one. But so what I'm trying to say here in a very rambly way is he is a guy, he's not a robot like Breeze and Brady. He's a motivation kind of guy. And if you have him locked in, then, you know, you could see some even more improved results. But So the other guy who is motivation-y and emotional is Le'Veon. Yeah. Now he, he is he's going to play and he will be under unbelievable pressure to produce better than even last year because he will be a free, he will absolutely be on the market. Yeah. He's, and he's older and he knows that that case is against him. So I do think Le'Veon's a football machine. I think you feed him the ball no matter what. So, yeah, but I mean, obviously, you know, people play well in contract years and every year is contract here for Le'Veon and he really wants those big bucks. Let me say the biggest other reason for improvement, the biggest silver lining for the Steelers, the feet master, Randy Feetner. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes there's an adjustment from coordinator to coordinator, especially if you switch late in some guy's career. It seems a little bit weird. But with Randy Feetner, it's not weird that they switched to him as offensive coordinator. He's been here for a while. He's already indoctrinated. There aren't going to be big changes. But hopefully, he can take all the great stuff that Todd Haley brought to the Steelers in terms of balance and creative play design and take away the kind of flashes of arrogance or just or idiocy that that I don't want to crap on Haley because, like I said, he did an amazing job. But sometimes... It was un- unexplainable. Yeah, you would just come out and do within four yards of the of the goal line, run the same play. Well, he would, he, he would just say, "I don't care what other teams do. We're the Steelers. We're just gonna do whatever we want." So when we play the Jaguars, I'm gonna come out and throw a bunch of screen passes against the fastest defense in the NFL with the best corners that you would not want to throw screen passes against. And you know, just weird streaks of play calling, and of course, we know the famous odd fourth down calls and just brain farts that Haley has. Hopefully Fiener can cut those out and just play a more strategic game because the Steelers should be able to do the Patriots thing. And we're so well balanced that whatever the opposite team is bad at, we should do that, you know? And then the other thing that he can really improve on is the red zone offense. There is a ton of room for improvement. The Steelers were in the twenties in red zone offense last year. And usually with Todd Haley and that's scary that this offense could get even better, and they can. So hopefully they stay healthy and the feet man gets uh, some good plays. Well, we are we are true black and gold. We have nothing but optimism for the coming year, having said all that and sort of put it in perspective. So very much looking forward to the season and being surprised by a few players we maybe not have focused on. Yeah. So uh, we'll just wind up the show, but I just want to mention the, uh, the benefit of having Nick in town is we watched A Football Life last night, and we watched the end of the uh, Jerome Bettis one, which yeah. is awesome, tearjerker. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is a storybook ending for him to win the Super Bowl in his hometown with his mama and his dad present, and the uh, dinner they had at the parents' house for the team. Yeah. Then it was followed by A Football Life for Chuck Knoll. I, I don't know what everybody knows about him. I just finished his biography a couple of months ago. He's a fascinating guy. You all know that he is he was the head coach for the Steelers for 23 seasons, 1969 to 91. He uh is known, I mean, he's just old school guy. Other than not having a crew cut, he looked like every every coach out of the 60s. Well, he's definitely an old school guy and he took the Steelers for you got I know a lot of people listen to this, you you realize this, but for anybody who doesn't, the Steelers were the worst team in their early history. Never had won a playoff game. Yeah, they had the number one pick in the draft when they 
drafted Terry Bradshaw. They were constantly laughing stock of the league. And he became the coach in 1969. And, you know, about by 10 years later, they were the best team in history. I mean, four Super Bowls in six years, right? If I'm correct, if I'm doing math correct, well, you know, four Super Bowls in the decade and um, turn them into just an absolute machine. And then in the 80s, he lost. Oh, you know, those players got old and they all left and he had to rebuild the thing. And ironically, actually, by the time he he, he quit, he had, he had kind he had of brought hand, them back to promise. Yeah, he had promise. Handed, and he handed off a, a strong team to Cowher. Yeah. So uh, the interesting thing about Chuck Noll, I don't think he was beloved of the of the player by the players, but absolutely respected, even by a guy who won't even talk about him anymore, Terry Bradshaw. Well, Terry Bradshaw gets his feelings hurt. All the time. Mama's boy. So, uh, also, he was such a renaissance man. The guy rarely talked about football off the football field. He's a music connoisseur. He was a wine connoisseur. He was a pilot. He was a sailor. So, a very interesting guy off the field. I'm not going to go too far into this, but it brought up another discussion about what makes a great head coach. Chuck Noll was known as a teacher. I mean, he was, he was in not just X's and O's, but he was telling guys where to put their feet, where to plant their hand when they were down in the dirt. Yeah, so he was he's Belichickian and it's crazy. When you look at this, we've had this conversation a lot of times and it's it's this just adds another page to it. And I feel bad I didn't used to throw him into this this conversation. But when you look at the most dominant head coaches of kind of these modern eras, you think of Bill Belichick. To me, I hate him as much as the devil himself. But he is the best, number one, unquestioned, to do what he's done over this amount of time. Also, in the era where the league is set up so that you can't do that with salary cap, losing players, um, and you know he's done it with a bunch of a million different teams. I had a couple other reasons for this when we were talking about it yesterday, but regardless, Belichick is the gold standard. The other ones you'd think about would be like Nick Saban at Alabama or Shashevsky at Duke, even Popovich in San Antonio for the Spurs. Chuck Knoll's another one. These guys all have very similar personality types. A lot of them have some sort of military background in their family, and they are not fun to play for. Now, Popovich has gotten a little bit older, and, uh, and he's Soft. way more chill than them. But, but same thing where it's like the team is way more highly valued than the individual. And that's what a, a conversation a lot of people have about Mike Tomlin, or right now, um, Pete Carroll is going through that in Seattle. These, these fun, cool, relatable coaches who sometimes provide their teams with all this fire. Um, that they can reach these amazing heights, but then they drop games against bad teams or this or that. So it's interesting to see when you watch the football life from Chuck Noll, he had that Belichick thing about him where the players didn't like playing for him, but they, except for me and Joe Green, but they respected him. And it seems like, wow, that really, it's hard to argue against that way of running a team. Yeah, he, he, he avoided the highs and lows. The, That's high, the key. highs weren't high, the lows weren't never low. It was just what's the next thing I need to teach. And you know, some guys live on emotion, but I, I don't think you make the best decisions while you're making decisions on the field based on emotion. Totally. It's got to be based on repetition. That's what he said. And, and even his wife and his son talked about it. he was actually like depressed that every time after they won the Super Bowl because he lived for the chase and the work and the grind of it. And then when it's done, he's kind of like, well, what do I do now? And the, his wife talked about the fact that she said. A lot of his players probably didn't never realize exactly how super fond he was of them because he told her when they were at home together, like he can't treat them that way when he's um, at, you know, on the football field because it would make his judgment making him. Uh, it, he wouldn't be able to be 
impartial towards them. So you're absolutely right. And the thing of the highs and lows, just like Belichick, it's like, yeah, you don't let him get too high. You don't let him get too low. Last thing I'll say about him, though, what is interesting, what separates him is his ability to turn that off when he's off the field. Like Belichick is just a zombie, probably a Nazi. I'm just kidding. But he is just a personality-less bastard. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But Chuck Knoll, total renaissance man. He's actually great with his family when he was at home and everything like that, even though he didn't hug them. But they went out and did activities. He painted. He learned how to play the ukulele. Didn't he learn how to play the clarinet? There was a video of him doing that. Um, Recorder, yeah. Yeah, Nobody knows what that is, but it looks like a clarinet, right. (laughs) Yeah, so he learned how to do a ton of stuff and just constant thirst for learning. So totally recommend watching that video uh, if you don't have the attention span to read a book. But the book is amazing, it's too. Riveting, yeah. Yeah. And, and what an interesting guy and almost underappreciated in our lore just because he's so quiet and unassuming. Hey, so we really appreciate you listening to the show. And we do this podcast each week. As you can see, we try to get it out. We, we've had 37 in a row when we've got it out by at least Tuesday. So we're, we're trying to be dependable. And we're there for you for your drive to work on at least Tuesday morning. Uh, again, Nick was in town this week, so we took advantage of it. And we're, we're getting this show out on Sunday night. We're trying to make the show better, more informative, more entertaining. So what will help us the most is some feedback from you. And you can reach us on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. You can leave us a note on the website, SteelersOutpost.com, or send us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.